Welcome to the Soft Verbal Podcast presented by Dead Soxie. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCready and featuring Zach Barry of Red Cup Rebellion, the Soft Verbal Podcast is your number one podcast dedicated to Ole Miss football and basketball recruiting. Featuring guests from throughout the Rivals.com network, the Soft Verbal Podcast tells you what is happening and what's going to happen on the recruiting trail. And it does it in style, just like Dead Soxie. Visit DeadSoxie.com and enter promo code RebelGrove at checkout for 30% off your order of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. Now... Here's your host, Neil McCready. Welcome into another edition of the Soft Verbal Podcast presented by Dead Soxie. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Zach Barry of rebelgrove.com and Red Cup Rebellion with me as well. As always, uh, we'll get to Zach in just a minute. Um, first, I'm going to tell you about uh, Dead Soxie. Right now, they've got their uh, sharing is caring, people helping people, support sale, all of that going on there at Dead Soxie. What you have to do is... Uh, you get when you get an email from the the folks at Dead Soxy, All you got to do is you got to share your link with a friend. You copy your personal referral code. You send it to your friends and family via email, text, or social media. And then for every new customer uh, that that you produce, there's a purchase required, of course. You both get ten dollars, so you can earn freebie socks for life because there's absolutely no limit on how much you can earn. Just share your link and collect the rewards every single time somebody uses your referral code it's people helping people as it all should be especially right now it's deadsoxy.com d-e-a-d-s-o-x-y.com i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios clark ford's in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 is the number call it ask for Corey clark tell Corey what ford product you're looking for he will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours or less and uh, what happens is you get your quote and the rest is kind of up to you. It's going to be right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. And uh, you can shop it around if you like. That's cool. Or you can go ahead and let Corey and the people at Clark Ford do for you what they've done for me and for a lot of people who listen to our family of podcasts. And that gets you into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the product. You'll love the service after the sale. Corey always says he wants to be a truck guy. He wants to be a truck, your, your car guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662-257-19. 100. Zachary, how are you? Neil, I'm doing well. It is, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a shame that the quarantine has kept everybody indoors for uh, the most part. You know, I, I only get out for uh, activities in the backyard, yard work, or uh, going on a run. But the weather has, um, it has not disappointed in these last three to four weeks. No, it would have been... Uh... It would have been a fab. Like today's, what is today? I lose track of days now. Today's a Wednesday. Uh, yesterday was a Tuesday. It was a beautiful day. Tomorrow is supposed to be really nice. Would have been those. Would have been great spring practice weather days. The weekends have been great. Would have been great weekend for baseball. And I guess the Masters would be kind of going on right now. They'd be tomorrow would be the first round of the Masters. So there, there'd be a lot of that stuff. But it's weird, man. That stuff's not here. It's not going to be here for a little while. Um, I've kind of gotten into a just – I get this question a lot, and I know you've you've talked about it too. People say, oh, man, I bet you really miss sports. And 
I have so completely in my mind bought into I will do whatever I have to do on my end to make sure that there is a football season at some point in the fall, even if it's late fall into the winter, even if it's really late fall into the 2021 calendar year, whatever it takes to get to that place, I'm in. I'll do it. Whatever it takes. That's like when they scheduled the Masters for November. I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. I'm, I'm in. I catch the way my, my mind's thinking. and like I have, In the back of my mind, Zach, I have surrendered an NBA season. In the back of my mind, I think if I'm honest with myself, I've surrendered a Major League Baseball season. I've surrendered NHL and all that stuff. I, I just... I think it's going to be a little while, but I do think there's real light at the end of the tunnel. I've I've obviously, I did a 51 minute podcast um, with Dr. Uh, Michael Cunningham on our, on our message board. And uh, a lot of the stuff that he says, I'm starting to come around and sort of buy in. I was a little skeptical at first just because I just didn't want to be that optimistic, but I've talked to some other medical people that, that sort of back up what he's saying Maybe a little more cautiously, but in that realm, that we're gonna be okay. Like I, I just, I just need August. I need August to come and to be okay. Well, the 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 Ole Miss baseball season was tough. Me being a big college baseball fan, I know that that's still a niche sport for the most part. But once the whole NCAA situation, decision, whatever you want to call it, came down, where most mostly, uh, you know upperclassmen are getting a red shirt year, quote unquote, it was kind of, it was kind of a wash, you know, it was kind of, well, you know, barring the MLB draft, Anthony Servideo, Tyler Keenan are the biggest, you know, at risk guys, but you're basically getting the entire team back. So it's basically just resetting. So once I got over that, it was fine. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, if, if, if there's no college football, it is going to be an absolute brutal fall and uh, early winter. It's just going to be just awful. So, yeah, I'm with you. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So, um, you know, I talked to Kermit Davis yesterday for a story that ran in Rebel Grove and rebelgrove.com. It's part of the Rivals Network, by the way, where prices never go up, which is a good thing these days because now is not the time to be raising prices. In fact, it's uh, you can sign up at, uh, at rebelgrove.com. If you've never been a subscriber, you can sign up now. It's free until August the 1st. So uh, all of April. May, June, July, it's totally free. Yeah, you got to give a card. Got to give a card, but you can cancel. You won't be charged until August. If you've used a trial before, there's a way to do that too. I'll uh, I'll send all that. I'll tweet all that stuff back out here again soon. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff up at rebelgrove.com. Zach does a tremendous job with recruiting stuff day in, day out, recruiting nuggets that are brought to you by the Oxford Crystal. And uh, he does that every pretty much every single day a lot of uh, a lot of comprehensive if you uh, especially if you're not on Twitter or if you're not constantly on Twitter Zach makes it super simple for you he, pretty much everything that's relevant to Ole Miss that gets tweeted he's uh, he's got it there in the on the message board back to the virtual recruiting this week I don't really know that there's a whole lot to add to it I mean I've talked to guys about it it's just it's essentially FaceTime um, they're doing some Kermit was talking about how they, they've done a lot of zoom. They're going to use a lot of zoom to talk to, um, some of the 2021 kids as they start to kind of look ahead to the next class, you know, where they're talking to the kid and they're trying to talk to the parents and the coaches and they can do a lot of that in one zoom call. And he was kind of joking about how some of the ADs are going to see that recruiting has been effective 
uh, using Zoom and that they've saved a lot of money because they're not flying and staying in hotels and eating on the road and, and stuff like that. But, of course, when everybody else starts flying, you're going to have to fly too. What's, what's, what's happening now is that everybody's using social media, so the playing field, at least from that regard, is, is pretty level. But it's, you know, it sounds like in both football and basketball, at least for now, they've kind of overcome that obstacle in, in in many ways, I mean, you know, they're, they're talking to the kids. The kids are seeing them. I get the impression talking to football kids that it has backed it has backed up the uh, decision making calendar. I think more and more, and I and I maintain this, especially if June camps get shut down, which I think they will. As of today, I I don't think June camps are going to happen. And if that's the case. I think the February signing period is going to be a lot more active than it's been the last couple of years, and the December signing period is going to be less active. It's going to actually, I think, be, Zach, the way it was sort of designed to be, that the only kids who are going to sign in December are going to be the kids that were going to go, like the kid that was going to go to Auburn since he was 10, and he gets the, mm-hmm. Auburn, he gets the Auburn offer and he's going to Auburn. That kid yeah. signs in, in December, you know, but the kids who – three or four choices. I think they're going to wait. Well, I was, I agree with you. I was going to say there are some special circumstances. Um, there are some certain recruitments out there where this is almost not affecting some of the kids. Cause I, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show, how the calendar has been moved up because of the early signing period where a lot of guys have done a lot of trips early to where they had pretty much taken either unofficials, enough unofficials or they had taken even an an official before COVID-19 hit to where they had already seen what they needed to see and they've made decisions. Um, It's been a popular thing. (sighs) Help me out here. I think it's probably the last three or four years where a lot of rising seniors will go on visits or kind of announce like a top five or something the day after February signing day. I feel like that's been – a trend lately. Well, hell, uh, I guess a couple years ago, Jaron Ely committed to Ole Miss the day after February signing day. Yeah. Um, so I think um, a lot of it has really sped up uh, for some kids to where they're like, "Well, I know what I I know what I want what I want in school. I know that they have it. I'm going to go there, so I have a spot." Um, but like you said, there are a ton of recruits that have taken a giant step back and then some to reevaluate everything because. You know, they're not sure if there's even going to be a 2020 season. And then also they still haven't been to campus to meet coaches face to face. They haven't seen weight rooms. They haven't uh, seen a nutritionist, a nutrition program, you know, all that good stuff. So uh, it's it's it could potentially make for a very fun recruiting cycle because, you know, back in the day when everything was on February, I mean, that was fun and it was wild and crazy. And, you know, rivals might crash. Once a day, <laughs> twice a day, and I mean that's that's good business. I mean that means that people are there. But, um, it, but yeah, it man, wasn't that, fun, Zach. Let me just tell well, you, the, the, okay, the, the okay. website crashing was not fun times. I haven't been on the business side. I've been on been on the other side of the fence. But but yeah, I mean that December signing period has really, you know, cut everything in half to where a lot of people have said, you know, man, that February signing period is just is just kind of like a okay, we'll show up and we'll watch, and yeah, okay, three people signed. All right, that's it. So, um, yeah, this could really make for a fun 2021 uh, recruiting class if it's all pushed to February. 
Um, yeah, okay. Let's talk. Let's talk some basketball recruiting. Um, there's as of this moment, I anticipate there being one spot open. I guess it's conceivable there could be another, but I do think there will be one. Um, I don't. I don't know who that spot is. I mean, there are two obvious guesses right now. One would be uh, Dude Column and Tavian Column. The other would be Bryce Williams. Um, I don't know which. I don't know that it would be either one of them. That would be my guess. Uh, uh, Devontae Shuler is staying. That's that's a great sign for for Ole Miss. I think I know that some mm-hmm. people, I know some people are sour on on Devonte after last season, and uh, I'll just tell you that I I, I love Devonte Shuler. I think he's a great kid. Uh, he, he had a rough year. His family had a rough year, and I think there was some distraction. His family moved from South Carolina to Las Vegas, and his father passed away, and there was a lot of pressure on him to have a big year. And I think he tried to play through kind of a, a, a foot injury early in the season that I think hampered him a little bit. And I just don't think he was ever completely himself. And I'm not making excuses for him, but but I think he's a kid that, from a basketball standpoint, he might act, assuming that they get back in time to have an off-season program and some of that stuff, he might actually benefit from this. This this might have actually given him an opportunity to to recharge his batteries to spend some time with his family, to sort some things out, to get his head clear, and to, uh, to when he comes back to be to be ready to go. And I, I'm I'm just kind of a believer in him. I don't know I don't know I don't know how mm-hmm. to explain that. I I would not be surprised at all to see Devontae Shuler have a really strong uh, senior season. Yeah, I was gonna say not even as an Ole Miss fan, uh, just selfishly, I want him to I wanted him to come back so he could have a better you know send off. Because he struggled, and yeah, like you said, a lot of off-the-court stuff that, that really went into it. And I know that, that he wanted to end on a better note. Um, and, you know, with COVID-19 kind of derailing anyone getting any look from NBA scouts and, and getting any feedback. Uh, and I think, I honestly think he really wants to come back to Ole Miss and to end on a better note. Whether that means having a great year, getting Ole Miss to the NCAA tourney again, going to the NBA or if it means going overseas, whatever, um, just as a competitor. And, and you've talked to him in, in person more than I have. Uh, I think that you can tell that it really aided him that he wasn't able to perform at a higher level this season. So that's a, a experienced guards. Coaches will take those any day, any year if they can. So that's, that's a huge plus for Ole Miss. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I think with this last spot, they would like to get a big. They'd like to get someone who can help them down low. They would like to get. Uh, they'd like to get someone. I've said this for a while. I thought that they would want to get a couple of uh, grad transfers, and they've gotten one in Demencio Vaughn, who's a three-point shooter, a defender. Uh, the quote about him, as you talked about the last time we got together, was that he's an mf'er, which is. Uh, a compliment in in, bas- yeah. in the basketball world, and uh, I think they I think they want to get a uh, an older big, a guy who has some toughness, some experience at the at the college level, who can help them in the post. Um, the kid from Tulsa is expected to make a. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull up some information on him right now to see if there's anything new. He's supposed to make a a decision. Tomorrow, I believe tomorrow is his birthday, and um, 
I know Ole Miss is in it. Now, there's a lot of teams in it. Um, it's Jariah Horn. I'm trying to – as pulling up his list. It's Arkansas, Colorado, Dayton, Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Xavier, and more that are uh, that are in his list. I'm told that Ole Miss is in his last three or four on his decision. I don't know whether they're getting him or not. I swear I don't. Um, I, uh, I, I, I do think he makes a lot of sense. He's he's a guy that that has post experience. He is a um, he's a guy that's played you know fairly high level uh, basketball, and he would give them. I'm pulling up his stuff right now. My computer hates me at this moment. Six seven two twenty two. He uh, played at Tulsa this past season. He eleven point one points per game, five point two rebounds. One and a half assist, half a block a game, a steal a game, uh, 29.1 minutes a night, 41.3% from the floor, 34% from three, 86 from the free throw line. As a, uh, as a junior, he had 10.1 and uh, 4.9. His shooting percentages were pretty, pretty steady, 43.9 from the floor, 37.4 from three, 81.8 from the uh, – from the free throw line. So a real steady guy, you know, and, and, and a big enough body to give them some depth, give them, give them somebody. Um, if it's, if it's Ole Miss, give them somebody who makes some sense, who gives them some depth with, you know, because look, they're going to add, uh, the Hadim C's back. Uh, they'll get, uh, Sammy Hunter back. Although there's, there's real concern that Sammy's progression is going to get delayed a little bit. As he talked about Devontae benefiting a little bit from this coronavirus uh, delay. Sammy Hunter is going to not benefit from this delay. I mean, he's he's in the Bahamas. He can't get much done. He's not getting to do much. This was a key development time for him this spring, and he's losing it. The same for Sean uh, Robinson. Not as big of a deal for Luis Rodriguez because this spring was going to be spent healing for him with the broken hand. Um, but they just... They could use another veteran body down there that's that's consistent that gives them um, just a little more steadiness. And I think I think Jariah Horn makes a lot of sense if it's him. Yeah, he's a long athletic wing that Kermit likes, Blake Henson, KJ Buffin, guys that are similar in stature. And then Domencio Vaughn, same guy. I before I forget, I, I wanted to throw this comp at you. I, I was talking to some people about it. Demencio kind of reminds me of almost like a Terrence Davis, Murphy Holloway hybrid. And I don't know if it's because he's left-handed. I get Murphy Holloway vibes, but it just seems like a guy that's going to get the tough rebound, but also really athletic, can put it on the floor, get to the rim, a lot like Terrence used to do. Um, But then just his career progression, a lot of people said that his shot has gotten better and better as he's gotten older, and that screams Terrence Davis. But... um, but yeah, I mean, they they like you said, they want to get older, they want to get tougher, and Demencio certainly brings them that with the MFR comparison. And then yeah, I mean, Jariah Horn's the same guys, gritty, can really shoot it, can go in there and get some rebounds, plays a ton of minutes. That's what they they really need some guys to to add to that bench to not only give you some bodies but give you some deep, experienced talent to go along with uh, you know a guy like Sean Robinson that I think they're going to expect a lot from now. Expect a lot from meaning minutes, meaning rebounds, shot, you know, blocking shots. I'm not saying they want 
Sean to come out there and, and average a double double every night. He needs to be out there to be active on the glass, you know, altering shots, being a presence in the middle. Um, and then, you know, this kind of experience and this talent is only going to take less, you know, take the pressure yep. more and more off of a true freshman like yep. Matthew Morell, who everybody thinks, oh, he absolutely filled it up at IMG. And he did. He's just going to, he absolutely did. I mean, we, we talked about it on our show. We've talked about it on this show. Um, he was a bench player for IMG as a top 50 player. That's how deep IMG was. And by the middle of their season, he was a starter because he was just absolutely shooting the lights out. Yeah. I think that uh, that's where Vaughn, like you said, Vaughn comes in and helps a little bit because he's he's going to give him a veteran presence, can can handle some minutes. Look, I think Morell's going to play. I think Morell's going to play a lot. I think he's going to have mm-hmm. a big role. Uh, but you don't want to – you don't want to <laughs> – Nobody wants to have a freshman walk into their program and go, hey, here's here's the deal. Now, we need you to play about 32 minutes, and we need about 20 a game, and uh, we, 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 need you to, we need you to be an instant impact guy where all of a sudden he's shooting four-pointers in his mind. He's trying to – you don't want that. You just, hey, come in, play. Let's, let's see what happens. Let's bring you along. There's going to be a freshman wall because there always almost always is. And um, – Having some veterans around, and that's where he'll benefit from having Devontae around. Um, just, but just having some older guys around, Blake and, and, and KJ and some guys like that, that's going to help. I think they just wanted this to be an older team. I think this last team, I said this on the last podcast, I think he liked the people a lot. I just don't think he liked their lack of in-game toughness. Their lack yeah. of just consistent defense. It's not a reflection on the kids. They're great kids. And I think that Kermit Davis and his staff liked the kids. I just don't think they liked the team. And there's a difference. And I've known coaches that I won't name names, uh, though you can probably imagine. I've known coaches that really liked their team that didn't like the kids. <laughs> and 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 last year was the opposite. I think they really liked the kids. I just don't think they liked the team. I don't think they liked the way it just didn't kind of come together. And so – you know, well, you just, I, I you said never that know. a ton. I said that a ton during the season that I think mentally they did, but also physically the team would fade down the stretch in games, and I think that that's just and that, like rebounding. You know, is kind of one of those things that people say rebounding is effort. You know, yeah, sure, positioning. You know, there's some talent involved. There's some physics involved with being tall and things like that. But for the most part, it's 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 who wants it. And I think that this Ole Miss basketball team this past season, they're just faded down the stretch in games. Now, sure, the, this season wasn't going the way that they all wanted it to go. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those, you know, everybody can play up when you're winning by 20 or when you're, you know, 25 and two and you're, you know, top of the standings in the SEC. So sure. that has an effect. But, yeah, I thought just there was no leader as far as toughness. Like, Brian obviously was the leader – you know, as far as the box score, as far as scoring the basketball goes. But I, I just didn't see anyone out there on the floor that was demanding toughness from their teammates. I mean, Kermit can only do so much. Ronnie Hamilton, Win Case, that, you know, the staff can only ask them to do so much. They can't want it for the team. And for whatever reason, there just seemed to be a lack of toughness. And a guy like Demencio Vaughn is going to bring that. And, you know, not only just experience and more depth, but he's a guy that he can take the basketball and, and go get his own – he can go get his own bucket. It, it's not like a role player. Like, he can go and, and score. 
So that's something that I think is key when looking for another grad transfer is, you know, not only a guy that can, can play in your offense is, is a good fit, good fit on defense, but someone that can go get their own, you know, create their own shot. In the event that it's not, uh, if it's not Horn, I don't necessarily know who it is. I've, I'm told there are multiple options, including Juco, including uh, perhaps a, a, a development with a high school player where they, instead of going big, they would go best available. Not super comfortable getting into a lot of that speculation because you can sound like an idiot, and I don't want to. I don't want to accidentally say something either that I'm not supposed to say, even though I, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been told anything. I've just I've heard some different stuff that you know, if it were to come to fruition, it'd be cool. But there's a lot yeah. out there, and look, recruiting just kind of develops over time, and um, I mean. Trying to decide if I want to get into this because there's some stuff that's out there today. Well, well, I was going to say we've we've gotten pretty good with football and basketball recruiting and just saying, you know, hey, if we don't have anything, we'll just say we don't know because we really don't. And now with Schuler coming back, I think it really changes how they're looking at the board as far as the transfer portal because they do want to go big now because they know they have Devontae coming back where, you know, there were some guys that they were in on, like Drew Louder from Holy Cross, the Kyle Sturdivant kid from Southern Cal, um, the Malik Zachary kid from Chipola College, the Juco guard. So I don't know if they're going to look at guard now because, like you said, they want to get somebody big. They would preferably get a big-time center, um, you know, add some real length. And I think we talked a lot about Sean Robinson that would help Sean Robinson a lot if you got a guy that can really help him shoulder the load and being that presence. Um, I, I'll go here. I'll do it. I'll, I'll so okay. that people don't think we're dancing. Uh, there's a lot of people watching the Duke roster, by the way. Uh, Alex O'Connell, at one point, a very heavy Ole Miss target. Um, played at Duke the last few years. I he, would I would go as far as to say he was going to Ole Miss until he got that Duke offer. It's certainly possible. Andy Kennedy really, really, really liked him. He uh, mm-hmm. he has transferred to Creighton as a grad transfer. He'll be eligible immediately. A lot of people are watching the Duke roster uh, in large part because they want to see what happens with Jamin Brakefield, who we've talked a lot about. I'm just going to say right now that I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's probable. Uh, in fact, I would call it improbable, but it's possible, I guess, Zach, that because, listen, here's the thing. I wrote about this, about, uh, about, uh, uh, De- Devante Schuler today. Even if Devante, let's say Devante had decided, Hey, I really want to test the NBA waters. Okay. I want to go out. I want to get a grade. I want to see what the NBA says about me. I want to do what Terrence Davis did a couple of years ago. I want to do what Brian did last season. I want to get a grade. I hadn't, hadn't, there's no waters to test, man. The waters are gone for the year because there is there is no off-season program. There's no tryouts. There's no NBA scouts to work you out. There's no workouts for you to do. You can't travel to the Brooklyn Nets arena or their practice facility and work out for their guys and get feedback. There is no Portsmouth. There is no Chicago. There's none of that stuff. It's a dead off season, so all you can rely on is your body of work. And if you're Devonte, that means you got to go back. Okay, well that applies to some other guys too. It applies to some guys at Duke. You know, as to what um, what they're going to do, and so uh, 
you know, there's a couple of guys that I think Duke players that if they leave early, they're late first, early second round guys. And there's a big difference between being a late first round and an early second round guy in the NBA. Late uh-huh. first, late first means a guaranteed contract. Second round doesn't mean a guaranteed contract. It's a big damn difference. And so it might shake it up, and it's possible that some of these programs get roster squeezed, and Duke is certainly a possibility to get roster roster squeezed. Uh, there's another name out there today, uh, Duncan Powell, four-star uh, forward who was committed to Arkansas. He's decommitted. Um, you know, I guess it's conceivable that, that, uh, that, that Ole Miss would be in on him. I think Georgia's going to be in on him. He's from DeSoto, Texas. Um, he, he'd visited Ole Miss before, um, you know, a year ago, I guess. Isn't that right? Yeah, February of, of 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been more than a year since he visited. So, I mean, man, I don't know. There's, there's just a lot of names out there. Uh, you, you, and, and they could go, and I know this for a fact, they're not going to force a big. If they can't get a big that they like and they can get a guard that they like, they'll go guard. They'll go best available. But I, I know they would prefer a big. And I think in an ideal world, the big that they got would be um, would be an older guy. Arms, just an older guy. Yeah, yeah. The Purdue kid, would, I think, is the perfect uh, scenario yeah. here. They're they're. I think they're kicking the tires on the kid from Louisiana Monroe. I, I I'll be honest. I don't know that a kid from Monroe is going to end up at Ole Miss because just the step down academically is so precipitous that. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, once you've gone to Monroe, like I went from Ole Miss to Monroe, which was an incredibly challenging academic jump. Had I done it the other way, I, I think it would have been like going from reading Shakespeare to reading, you know, Doctor Seuss. Doctor Seuss, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, and I, I just, it wouldn't have been challenging enough. Yeah, the you, the board is wide open now because they do have a little bit of flexibility with Schuler coming back where you said if they can't get a big, like they can be picky if they want, you know, a power forward center. If they don't, best available. But they're like you said, they're not they're not going to stress it um, with obviously 2021 class with guard because they are uh, – Ole Miss is the heavy favorite with Deshaun Ruffin. I think that they are eventually going to get him. Um, I, I think that that is something I feel comfortable saying on this podcast as we are recording here. I do too. Um, so – yeah, it's, it's just kind of wide open. And, you know, like you said, the Duke thing was something that people were watching because, you know, it was will they or won't they. And then Cassius Stanley announced, you know, that he was going to go pro. And, you know, the whole thing, um, the drama with Patrick Tate, the former Columbia forward who was the first ever Duke transfer, which think about that. How, how insane is that stat? The first ever grad transfer to Duke. Um he decommitted and then recommitted. So they were, they were full. Then they weren't full. Then now they're full again. Now they're not full because Cassius Stanley's gone. Um, so that's obviously something to watch because it's no secret that Jamin Brightfield is a really, really, really good basketball player. But Duke also has other really, really, really good basketball players already there coming in with Brightfield, and they're going to sign them on top of him. So I'll make my um, prediction on Brightfield, which is not necessarily Ole Miss related, and it's not necessarily Duke related. It is this. I do not think he will finish his college career at Duke. No, I think that's a safe bet. I would take that bet too. Now, that, am I saying, am I being cryptic that he's headed to Ole Miss? I'm not. I promise I'm not. I, he, he might head, I have no idea. 
In fact, if you made me bet, I would bet that he's on the Duke roster next season. Uh, I just am simply saying that if you ask me, does he finish his college basketball career at Duke, I would say no, he does not. Yeah, and that's absolutely in no way a slight to Jamin Brakefield. No, no, no. Duke signs. That's the thing is, you know, we say it as hyperbole. No, Jamin Brakefield is the lowest rated signee in their signing class this year, and he is a top 50 player. Like it's, it's just you know, everybody wants to go to Bull City, and because Durham is such a great town, the the restaurant scene is where they really make their hay with recruits. Do you know if you hit uh, the bull, you get a steak? Hey, did you know that I went to a Durham Bulls game and saw somebody hit the bull? Did they get a steak? I'm assuming they did. I was like nine or ten years old, but yeah, we went to the stadium. Durham actually is a really cool place, by the way. Yeah, I've never been. Uh, yeah, all right, nice. I'm going to tell you real quick that I know Zach's going to agree with me that uh, next time you're in Oxford or if you're in Oxford, even if it's during this coronavirus thingy that is just bizarre world, LB's Meat Market is wide open. 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. You can give if you're worried about the coronavirus, and I'm not criticizing you if you are. I'm, I'm worried about it too. I go out and I'm wearing my mask and. I'm scared and all that stuff. So I, I'll, I'm with you. We're all good. Um, if you don't want to go in, you don't have to. You can call Greg, 662-259-2999. And uh, tell him what you want, whether it is uh, the fresh cut uh, steaks, whether it's filet, uh, bone-in ribeyes, strips, whatever, man. They've got it. Chicken, pork, incredible selection of sausage, uh Salmon, redfish, tuna, amberjack. Pretty much if it's meat, they've got it. They've got uh, great stuffed jalapenos, uh, stuffed mushrooms. The uh, hash brown casserole is fantastic. Uh, my waistline did not appreciate it, but it was really good. All of that's there. You can call, place your order, prepay. Greg will have it ready for you. It's all good. He'll put it in the back of your car, and uh, you can get away with uh, no contact. That's fine. No one's criticizing that. 662-259-2999. But you can also go and uh, get what you want. You'll uh, love it. Please make sure that you tell Greg that you heard about uh, LBs on the podcast. And he mentioned any of our podcasts. It doesn't matter. You mentioned this one. You can mention the Beer Garden. You can mention the Oxford Exxon podcast. Whatever. You can probably mention Red Cup Rebellion. And he's going to throw a little something extra in your... Uh, I was I was actually going to say you can, but I didn't want to steal from your. No, that's your good. Vineyard. You can mention you can mention uh, Red Cup Rebellion. He'll throw a little something extra in your sack, and uh, it's really really good stuff. I mean, the he's got preseason chicken. I mean, really, whatever you want, and even if you call him and say, "Hey, what do you suggest?" He he'll throw some stuff at you that you might not have done before. The picanha. I mean, we're at a point in time now where I mean, it's every day is a weekend sort of. You can do whatever the hell you want to do, and the picanha takes a little time, but you got time. And uh, you could try it. I love the chicken jalapeno sausage. It might be my favorite thing. But uh, you know, try a lot of different things. You'll come up with your own personal favorite thing. And uh, he's got just a lot of stuff there. So get in cut it, the meatloaf. He's got he's got all sorts of stuff. So it might just be a deal where you're tired of cooking. Laura and I are tired of asking the kids, "Hey, what do you want for dinner?" Because they all want something different and they all turn their nose up at stuff. Uh, sometimes just Greg's got ideas. You could say, "Hey, what do you have?" And he'll come up with some stuff, and next thing you know, boom, you got dinner for the family, and it's a hit. So 
LB's Meat Markets, across from Kroger, uh, 662-259-2999. What else you got? So today on Twitter, uh, I thought it'd be fun to um, do a thread of um, sports moments that I have experienced live. Okay. Um, so whether in person or on television, uh, I had talking with some friends today. We were trying to come up with, you know, hey, what's your top five sports moments that you saw live or witnessed live in person? And five is way too difficult. So I just figured I'd start a thread. Um the first one for me here, you'll definitely remember. Uh, I just remember watching it with my dad, um, Michael Jordan, the shot at, in Utah. You were that right there. You were there, or you watched it? <laughs> no, 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 I watched it. I watched it. Um, I mean that 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 whole crossover, lose the defender, jump shot, hold the arm up is just iconic with, with MJ. And I mean, that right there was just kind of one of those where you remember where, you know, I remember, you know, the house we were in, the, the spot on the couch when we were watching it. I mean, just that shot was, was one of those, you know, that was back when the, you know, the NBA was very different than it is now, but it was very competitive. Jordan was playing, the Bulls were great, but I mean, everybody else, I mean, it was just a fun time to watch the NBA growing yeah. up late nineties. You know what I remember about that night was I made Laura watch it because I told her, I remember saying it. I, I told her we didn't have, I don't think we had kids yet. What year was that? It was 96. That was 98, 98. So we, we've been married a year. We didn't have kids and I made her watch because I said one day you might have a son and you will be able to tell him that you watched this game alive. And, I mean, and and you know, it was kind. Of, I said, "This is this is epic," you know, for Jordan. And it was that game. And now that you say that, the only other time that I made her watch a game, I think we were dating at the time. I made her watch the Cal Ripken game where he broke Lou Gehrig's record. When he went around, yeah, shaking everybody because he hit the, he hit a home yeah. run and he went around and shook everybody's hand and all that stuff and and they did the sign at Camden Yards on the on the warehouse the two one three one. I remember making her watch that going. This is history. This is a big deal. Like this record probably will never be broken. Do you? So when I was doing this today, I was attaching YouTube videos with each tweet. Do you remember the possession before the shot? What happened? Michael Jordan. <laughs> Uh, a dog attacked Michael Jordan on the yeah, court. Dogs, dogs and, are chiming in. And uh, um, took his calf out. No, Michael Jordan blocked a Carl Malone shot. So it wasn't a block, but it was a help defense steal where the Jazz were up one. Oh, that's right. That's right. And we're just looking to ice it. So they get it to Malone on the, on the elbow, and he's backing down. I can't remember who it was, but, yeah, Jordan just came over and just stole it, and then that was where they were just pulling, playing for the last shot because I believe when he stole it, it was like 18 seconds left, and yeah, it was. It's Byron Scott, right? The guy he, that was guarding him that that he Byron Russell. Byron Russell. Byron Russell. Okay. Um, yeah, just a just an awesome moment. Um, one of the next ones for me. Uh, so as a Braves fan, you know, I kind of remember the '95 World Series, but I don't remember it too vividly. I was still pretty young. 99, though, the NLCS 
when um, so they ended up winning in the, in, the, in extra innings. Um, it was it was one of the more anticlimactic walk offs. I don't know if you remember um, Andrew Jones got walked with the bases loaded, and that's how they won the NLCS. But oh, I did not remember that. Yeah. So in the tenth, Ozzie Gian tied it up with a single to right. Um, I just remember that hit for whatever reason. Andrew Jones scored. Um, I think it's just because it was kind of a weird, like super high emotion. Then oh shit, because Ozzie Gian hits one into right, and um, Ryan Klesko tried to go first to third and uh, got hosed and got thrown out. So it was. Had the winning run on third, but he got thrown out. But I remember that Ozzie Guillen hit for whatever reason. Um, actually swung around a fastball. But um, next, after that huge moment for me as a uh, Titans fan, the Music City Miracle. I mean, that one was insane. Oh, yeah, huge game. Just, I don't know. It was just crazy. To The more I watched the replay, the more I can't believe that the Bills could had nobody to catch Kevin Dyson. It was just insane how it worked. Um, yeah, were you watching that one live? I was. I was watching that one live, and it's funny. There's two or three. I'm not a Bills a Bills fan at all. I remember the Bills comeback against the Oilers vividly. What was that 93? Ah, uh, that sounds right. Was that when they were down 28 points or 24? Yeah, it was. It was in the wild card. It was a wild card game, and the game yeah. was over. And Buffalo came back and won. Yeah, that was. Insane. And that was with Jim Kelly out. I think Frank Reich was the quarterback that, that did it. Um, yeah, and then I remember as a kid, it's funny how um, I don't know if you're this way because I'm older than you. I remember a lot of games as a kid because I was more dialed in. It's one of the reasons I've enjoyed Carson at this age because he's he's 13, and so you know he's wrapped up in these games now that he'll remember a long time from now. That for me now, I'm like, ah, it's just a game, and he's in it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember the uh, the Houston Oilers. Uh, they they went they never could get past the Pittsburgh Steelers when I was a kid and it was so frustrating. I remember their game in Three Rivers Stadium where they almost won and there was a controversial play where Dan Pastorini threw a pass to Mike Renfro that should have been called a touchdown and wasn't and the Oilers didn't get to the Super Bowl and I remember being so mad about it that I almost refused to watch the Super Bowl two weeks later. I don't think actually I did watch it. Um, I remember, and so I hated the Steelers because they were. I, I liked the Oilers as a kid, and uh, I hated the Steelers. And so I cheered for the Rams in what was Super Bowl. I don't know, thirteen, fourteen. But I remember Vince Ferragamo, the quarterback of the Rams, and I was super into that game because the Rams were were playing with the Steelers. And then of course the Steelers won, and I was pissed. <laughs> and uh, and then I remember, I'll tell you the other game, the game that really sticks out in my mind for a couple of reasons, the, the game that was the catch, uh, the, the mm-hmm. Joe Montana to Dwight Clark and Candlestick Park to beat the Cowboys happened on my 12th birthday. And oh, wow. I, I hated the Cowboys <laughs> and still do, basically. Still hate the Cowboys for no real logical reason. Um. But I remember that game, and I was super into that game and that drive and that play from Montana. I remember all of that stuff. All these years, I mean, that was like, let's see, I was 12, so that was like six years ago. Um, I mean, I remember that play vividly. 
I remember everything about that game and 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 all of that stuff. So um, it was. Yeah, it's funny how the stuff that I remember was being a kid. I'll tell you, the other game I remember that comes to mind, and I'm just doing this stream of consciousness. As a boy, I think it was Christmas Eve. Uh, I couldn't have been more than 9, 10, 11 years old. It was a double overtime game between the Baltimore Colts and the Oakland Raiders, Kenny Stabler versus Burt Jones. And I grew up in Ruston, and Burt Jones is from Ruston. And the, the Raiders beat the Colts in double overtime, and I can remember being completely invested in that game and can vividly remember plays in that game. All these years later. Did I lose you, Zach? Yeah, sorry, I was on mute. No, there you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, I remember – that game because of the nickname because of Dave Casper they call it the ghost to the post yeah um, Dave Casper god I hated that, that guy that, that play um I, th- I guess it was like a 40 yard 45 yard pass um yeah wow Stabler was 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 so good he was one of those guys that it looked like so effortless when he'd throw the football he never looked like he had to put a lot into it yeah, uh, you know, I grew up watching him, and then when I moved to Mobile, I I would do radio with him some, and it oh that's cool yeah, and it never I never got past the <laughs> starstruck part of it. I would always yeah. even though he was an older guy then and he was a completely different deal. I was like, man, that's Ken Stabler. You you grew up you grew up cheering yeah. against that guy. He played for the Raiders. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, because when I was a kid, you didn't have NBA NFL Sunday ticket. Uh-huh. You only had certain games. And so we got the Saints and the Cowboys in North Louisiana. And so you only saw bits and pieces or other times you saw the good teams. And so I saw the Steelers a lot. I saw the the, the Raiders a lot. Uh, the Redskins, like Joe Theismann and, and uh, John Riggins and all those guys. You saw them a lot. But – they were, they were, and as a kid, they were, they were bigger than life. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't keep up with one team unless it was in where I lived, unless it was Dallas or or the Saints. Mm-hmm. And the Saints were horrible, and so oh. you know they were so bad when I was a kid. It was Archie Manning and just a bunch of dudes, and they were so bad that nobody was into them. And I didn't like the Cowboys because all of my friends were just blindly worshiping the Cowboys, and so I'm. I think I'm a contrarian at heart. And so I, I went the other direction and I would cheer against them. I, I cheered for the Giants for a long time because the Giants, there was a game in Dallas where Phil Sims and Lawrence Taylor and the Giants, when they were still kind of just getting started, knocked off the the Cowboys. And I was like, yeah, these are my boys. And, uh, and then when the Giants, I, I cheered for the Giants for a long time. And then when the Giants drafted Eli Manning, I was like, oh, now if I cheer for the Giants, I'm a homer. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and then I was covering, I was covering Auburn, and so Sundays were a huge work day, and I didn't cover much NFL. I didn't see much NFL for a long time, and then I covered the NFL for a while until I covered the Saints. And I don't know the the, the NFL game that the two NFL games that I remember covering the most. I covered a Saints Eagles playoff game in New Orleans that the Saints won. Deuce McAllister had a huge score, if I remember correctly. And that place, man, was so loud that the old Superdome press box shook, literally shook. And I mean, I wasn't scared or anything, but 
it got my attention. It was so loud that the stadium shook, and I just remember thinking, wow, this is crazy. And then a week later, I covered the NFC Championship game in Chicago, Bears-Saints, and uh, I remember kind of going out into the stadium to get color for my my column, and uh, it was cold, and it started to snow right about the time that the Bears started to put the game away. And I remember thinking, this is this is cool. I mean, you know, when I was getting started, if you told me I'd get to cover an NFC championship game at Soldier Field, I would have been so pumped. And so it was one of those moments where I stopped. I stopped thinking as a journalist, and I let myself kind of be a kid and, and just look around and go, this is neat. I mean, I'm covering a game where the winner goes to the Super Bowl, and it's in – as a little boy, it was, you know, Chicago was this, I grew up in a small town, and, and so Chicago was this larger-than-life city, and I can remember Brent Musburger, you know, coming on the NFL today with, you are looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago, and I was thinking to myself, you're looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago, and it's the Bears and the Saints, and it's the NFC Championship, and that sticks out in my mind. It's like a, a really cool moment that uh, that was neat. You mentioned Mike Renfro, and I'll tell you this, another thing that I remember, the first high school game that I saw on ESPN um, was actually, as my son's crying, my wife just got home from, from running, but um, Mike Renfro's son played on the same high school team as Chase Daniel, uh, Southlake Carroll in Texas, Yeah, and they played on ESPN, and I think he had two touchdown catches, and when you said Mike Renfro, I was like, oh, I remember his son Clint. Yeah, uh, I think he signed with TCU. He was a track athlete. Um, I'll throw this one at you, and I'll let you run with it while I grab him. Yeah, we'll wrap up here in a second. Yeah, one of the other things that was so cool was uh, Spurs-Grizzlies, first playoff series win for the Grizzlies, the grit and grind era kind of getting established. Yeah. When Zebo had that double-double, 31-11, and 11, that was a big one for me. I was there for that. Yeah, the NF the NBA games that stick out in my mind that I was there for. I went at when in '88. I went to a Western Conference Finals game in Reunion Arena in Dallas between Lakers Lakers and uh, Mavericks, and that was really cool. I mean, I you know, I kind of as a kid, I was a Lakers fan. I, I loved Magic and Kareem and Byron Scott and Michael Cooper and James Worthy and all those guys, and there they are in front of in front of me and. Uh, the, the Mavericks were really good. It was R- Ronaldo Blackman or Rolando Blackman and uh-huh. uh, Mark Aguirre and all those guys. They were a really good team. They were one of those teams kind of – they just kind of like the, the Oilers. They just couldn't get over the hump against a historically great team. But I remember that game. I went to a Heat-Thunder game in Oklahoma City on a Sunday afternoon where it was uh, – James Harden was still with the Thunder – it was LeBron and D Wade and Chris Bosh and uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden, and the game was decided. The Heat won in the final seconds on a jumper by I think James Jones was his name, which would be typical that somebody would win the uh-huh. game. Somebody would would make a shot like that in a game where all six of those guys were so good that day, and it was uh, it was amazing, man. It was one of those games where I watched it and and it was. Sports is art. Some of the they, they they raised each other's level of play to a point there. It was so good and and uh, and then but honestly the the basketball game 
as we wrap up. There's a couple of basketball games that stick out in my mind. One, I was a kid in Ruston, Louisiana Tech versus McNeese. And you'd go, what? But it was a Southland Conference semifinal, Southland Conference tournament semifinal game. Carl Malone versus Joe Dumars. And man, yeah. it was so good. Was that any good? It was so it was so good. <laughs> And then uh, yeah. the other game that I was at the uh, as I was a student at Ole Miss when uh, Gerald Glass and Chris Jackson went against each other oh, in that wow. crazy game, and and to this moment, that game remains one of the coolest games I ever saw in in person because it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was you watched you watched greatness push greatness, and yeah. uh, it was it was it was awesome. I mean, Glass was so good, Jackson was every bit as good, and uh, it was it was great. Was, I mean, Ole Miss won the game, but you knew kind of walking out of the out, out of Tad Smith that who won the game really was going to be sort of uh, second fiddle to where that game was going to rank because two mm-hmm. two guys, Gerald Glass and Chris Jackson, just played out of their minds that day, and they were so good, and it was kind of kind of what sports is, you know. I mean, you 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 go to a sporting event like that sometimes hoping to see greatness, and you get it. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. And there's like that Thunder Heat game where LeBron was just fantastic, and and Kevin Durant was so good, and Westbrook was so motivated by the moment, going at D Wade, and and D Wade coming back at him, and and guys like Bosh and Harden just making buckets, and the game's just swinging back and forth, and you know it was a February game on a Sunday afternoon, and and it was just uh, it was just terrific. It was one of those deals where. I think it was the night that that it was the afternoon that my wife before that was not much of an NBA fan, and we got back in the car after that because we drove uh, we drove to Fort Smith, Arkansas to spend the night, and then came home the rest of the way. And she was like, "That NBA game was amazing," and I was like, "I know, wasn't that incredible?" She's <laughs> like, "I could watch that a lot more often." And ever since then, she's kind of liked the NBA because I think going back to that game, it just won her over. It was it was art. It was like what sports are supposed to be, where you. You end mm-hmm. up doing the conversation that we've just had for the last 20 minutes where it doesn't really matter who necessarily wins. I know it does, but it doesn't. You remember certain moments, and, and it's what makes you remember stuff. I, as a kid, the other thing that sticks out is there was a Royals-Rangers game when I was a kid um, in in Arlington, and Bo Jackson hit a home run off Nolan Ryan. It was incredible. And the ball just, oh, the ball just, the ball just went and went and went and went and went. <laughs> And you were just like, man, that was neat. I mean, that was so cool. And anyway, so those are stuff that I'll, stick stick out. I'll, I'll tell you this, Neil. I believe, and you can relive this. Maybe you can try to find yourself in the crowd if you can. Um, I think that Gerald Glass, Chris Jackson game. I think the full game is on YouTube. Is it? I'll Somehow. have to look for it. I'll have to look for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I looked it up. Sellout crowd at Tadpad. Yeah. Five hundred eighty people. Yeah. Gerald Glass, 53, Chris Jackson, 55, Ole Miss won, 113, 112 in overtime. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just that only Johnny Newman scored that many points for Ole Miss, and then only Pete Maravich and Bob Pettit scored as many for LSU. So, I mean, Pretty yeah, good players. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, just a absolute, just, you know, one of those instant classics. Um, I guess we'll wrap up here. The only notable ones that I hadn't shared – I, this was very recent, but the LeBron chase down block on Iguodala, it yeah. was like transcendent yeah. to see that. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. Um, I thought 
Ronald Acuna. I know you're a huge fan of him. Ronald Acuna's Grand Slam off of uh, Walker Bueller a couple years ago was yeah. pretty nuts. He's crazy. They lost the series. He's but, crazy good. Yeah. Um, Tiger winning the Masters last year was really fun. I included Zobrist in here um, yeah. mainly because one of my best friends, who's a huge, humongous Cubs fan, we were at a bar in Nashville, and I told him, I said, they're going to throw him away and away and away, and I said, Zobrist is going to get one. And it's, I, I was like, it's going to get down third baseline, I'm telling you. And it was one of those few times in sports where like I actually called it, <laughs> and when it happened, it was I'm not even a Cubs fan, and it was cool. Because we were at a Cubs yeah. bar here in Nashville, and I mean, that was just – Amazing. Um, that that was the best week of my sports life, from a sports fan standpoint, oh, no doubt about it. Because you know Carson and I got <laughs> tickets to Game Three, yeah. and we went to that game. And even though the Cubs lost one to nothing, there was it was as close to a religious experience as <laughs> I think you could have in sports. It was really it was emotional. All the people. I, yeah. It's funny you and I are talking about it now. It's four years ago, and if I let myself think about three or four things that happened in that game with total strangers next to me where I heard their stories. I should have yeah. written, I should have written it, but I didn't want to be a journalist that night. I wanted to be a Cubs fan. Yeah. And uh the stories were emotional and then the night that the Cubs won the World Series. Uh probably my coolest night as a dad ever. That game yeah, that I game bet. that game went until midnight, you know. It was a late game. It was back and forth and all the stuff and and I knew Carson would get into it but the one of the coolest things about that night was both of my daughters stayed up and, to watch it and neither one of my daughters are big uh, sports fans and both of my daughters stayed up and when the Cubs won they were as excited as I was and I and it was not because of the Cubs won they were so excited for their dad and we went out into the driveway at 11.50 something at night and sprayed champagne to the point that all the kids had to take showers before they could go to bed because they were so sticky. <laughs> and uh, and it was, that, was a cool, that was a cool night where if I reflect on it, I can think about how disappointed I was when the Cubs lost in 84 and how disappointed I was when the Cubs lost in 89 and how brutally disappointed I was when the Cubs lost in 03. And when the Cubs choked in 04, and when that really good Cubs team in, in 08 got swept by the Dodgers, in 09 got swept by the Dodgers, I thought that Cubs team was going to go the distance. And I remember kind of thinking it was all worth it to get. If you had told me that they'd win it in 16 and my kids would be old enough to understand it and, and all that stuff, that that it would be worth it. And And still to this day, I get a little like I can kind of feel the lump in my throat because I know how many other people – especially people who kind of grew up around Chicago and the Cubs were such a thing to them. How many people that night thought about, you know, parents and grandparents or whatnot that didn't live long enough to see it. And, and, uh, you know, that was, that's to me, that's, that's the cool thing about sports. I can remember telling people, you know, that were Ole Miss fans or whatever, man, I hope that one day your team wins the whole thing. Cause I hope you get to feel that. Cause it's, it's, it's not about, it's not about the, the, game itself it's about the memories and the family and the connections and and all of that stuff at least that's what i think I, I, maybe that's the romantic romanticizing it but anyway that was to, to me that was that uh that week was really sticks out as i can remember so much about it but not because the cubs won because of what it meant to the people around me that the cubs won yeah i mean that was uh i mean we were talking about it i think that game that game was on now, you know, during a, a replay a couple weeks ago, and I told you, I was like, man, that 
that home run that Rajay Davis hit almost defied physics because, I mean, it was a it was a pitcher's pitch that he hit out, and it was kind of one of those where you know I'm not a Cubs fan, so I'm kind of yeah a bystander, but I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh no, yeah, like, this is where it falls apart. Because um, I mean, Araldis Chapman throws a 101 mile an hour fastball low and in, and he dropped the bad head. He guessed. Just, he guessed. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He guessed, and, and, and he hit it out, and and. Uh, Carson sobbed and I had to go in that moment. I had to put my cub fandom down, I had to be a dad. And it was really funny that happened. And then the rain delay happened and I needed to reset and he needed to reset. And we flipped over to a Clippers thunder game and the, <laughs> the thunder upset the Clippers in LA at the beginning of an NBA season, you know, it was a meaningless game. And yeah. I got a Twitter notification that they were starting back and, when I flipped over to the tenth inning, I was a little calmer. It was funny, and I've heard that so many Cubs talk about how that nineteen-minute rain delay or whatever was so refreshing. And as a fan, that fan that that rain delay was refreshing. It it, it allowed me to sort of center myself a little bit because the the blowing that lead was was so tumultuous. It was so uh, it was so emotional, and and to for them to come back and and win was. It was really cool. I mean, I, that that game has come back up a few times here just during the the pandemic sports delay, and I still watch it. And it's funny the the emotions that you feel in a in a game. I, even though you know what's coming now, you still feel it. When Rajay Davis mm-hmm. hits that home run, there's an anxiety. <laughs> there's an anxiety about it. Yeah. And uh, when Ben Zobris gets that hit, there's a there's an exhilaration about it. The ground and and when that ground ball gets hit to Chris Bryant. Oh, I yeah. still see his foot slip. Every time I see his foot slip and for just a split second, even now, four years later, I still think, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> he threw it away. And then when that ball goes into Rizzo's glove, man, to this moment, I, I get I get a little teary-eyed. I mean, it's like that was such an incredible... I couldn't believe it. I just... I just screamed. I ran outside and just screamed. And it was, I think about it now, and it was all those years of emotion kind of pent up. And, you know, how many times I would listen to uh, uh, Eddie Vedder's Someday We'll Go All the Way song and think, you know, someday. And then it happened. And then <laughs> I get choked up thinking about it. it. That next morning, I got so drunk that night. God, I got so drunk. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, worshiped the porcelain god and the whole deal. And, and, and got up the next morning. And uh, was still probably intoxicated. But I can remember, I got the Twitter notification that the Cubs had tweeted. And the tweet was, uh, today is someday. And it was incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm not, I that's cried. Awesome. I mean, it was awesome. So that's uh, that's the cool part about sports. All right. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll, we'll, I was going to We'll stop with say, you crying. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, you were talking about Laura and how she thought that NBA game was so fun and so cool. I mean, when we were at that bar, we were at Red Door in Nashville, which is a Chicago bar, and that th- that game was on a Wednesday night. Yep. And when that rain delay happened, I turned to Anna and I was like, "All right, do we need to go." And she was like, "No, we got to stay. We got to watch. We got to see what happens." Got to see what happens, yeah. And I was like, "All right, all right, fine." And um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You, I was gonna say, you could tell when Chris Bryant fielded that ground ball that he wanted to just run the ball over yeah. to Rizzo. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, "Oh, don't short arm it." Well, he smiled. That's the way I remember that he smiled. The ball got hit too many. He smiled, 
and uh, it happened. It all it all happened so slow motion in my mind, and 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 then he slipped. You know, the ground it was wet, and and he, oh, yeah. he his back foot slipped, and the ball sort of tailed up, and it was fine. I mean, Rizzo caught it, and there's no big deal. But at that there was That's, a split was moment. Same, yeah, Neil, that was the same thought that every Ole Miss fan had when Errol Robinson fielded that ball. <laughs> yeah, Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, night. yeah. It's just that's the cool part about sports. But all right, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna stop there uh, again. Our thanks to uh, Dead Soxy for making this happen. Don't forget, get the referral code. Send it to your friend. Uh, every person that you send it to that buys uh, socks, you get ten dollars. They get ten dollars. A really cool deal. DeadSoxy dot com. D e a d s o x y dot com. Don't forget our friends at LB's Meat Market as well. 662-259-2999. For Zach Barry, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of the Soft Verbal Podcast. Until next time, take care.